welcome to Uncommons. I'm Nate Erskine-Smith, and on this episode, I'm joined by Waterloo Police Chief Brian Larkin to talk about why cops in Canada want to decriminalize all drugs. Yes, the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police released a report just last month that called for both decriminalization of drugs and safer supply of drugs as ways to treat drug use as a health issue and to save lives. In the words of the report, we must adopt new and innovative approaches if we are going to disrupt the current trend of drug overdoses impacting communities across Canada. Merely arresting individuals for simple possession of illicit drugs has proven to be ineffective. Brian, thanks for taking the time. Well, thanks so much, uh, Nate. How long have you been a police chief in Waterloo? Well, I've been a police chief in Waterloo just coming up on six years and uh, just starting my 30th year of policing. Most of my time has been with Waterloo, but I did have four years in the city of Guelph as the deputy chief and chief of police and then returned to Waterloo as the chief. What I've been working in around uh, drug policy probably for the last decade or so has really become an interest for me based on some volunteer work at a drug rehabilitation center where I chaired the board, as well as looking within policing. And having seen what you've seen in the course of your role as a police officer, but also perhaps in your role on the board, why do you support reforming our current drug laws? You know, if I pause for a moment and reflect on the last 30 years of being involved in policing, when you look at the calls for service that we attend, you look at some of the challenges that we face, you look at, the, you know, in the probably the last 15 years, some of the changes in the demands on policing, particularly around mental health. But if you pause for a second and look at violent crime, if you look at some of the challenges we face, often all roads lead to social disparity, they lead to addiction, they lead to mental health issues, they lead to concurrent disorders. And so eventually at some point, you know, very on in my career in the, in the city of Kitchener where I worked was a very much dealing with the same individuals on a daily basis. You know, 30 years ago, the issues were much more based around alcohol. But again, we had some significant individuals that uh, I would deal with on a regular basis that suffered from alcoholism. That sort of change that lived through the crack cocaine uh, epidemic in Canada and in particular Ontario and Waterloo region, that really morphed from the crack cocaine epidemic to crystal meth, uh, to Oxycontin, and then now, of course, the opiate crisis that we're facing. And so you've seen some of these different variations and, and the approach by policing is typically and one of the tools and really the only tool we have is arrest, charge. It's the judicial system. But at some point, you know, when you arrest the same person, let's say the 50th time or the 51st time, you have a connection with these individuals. Uh, you learn to understand their story. You learn to understand their path. Listen, 30 years ago, my philosophy on drugs was very different than it is today. But over time and wisdom, maturity, growth, understanding the system, passion around drug reform really came around the whole point that our judicial system is not equipped to deal with complex acute care cases of addiction. It's well-intended. You know, mental health courts and drug courts are excellent additions. The reality is the investment and the capacity can't manage the demand. And then in policing, if you look at the last five years, uh, and particularly the Canadian chiefs, we recognize that despite the consistent work that we were doing, trying to focus on illicit trafficking, which is, in, which is something we should continue to focus upon, organized crime, guns and gangs, they prey on vulnerable people, Nate. But the reality is, is that the people that we come in contact with every single day, the judicial system is not serving as rehabilitation. We believe a public health model is better led. Let's actually address the root cause of the issue, which is a health condition. It's not a criminal condition. And far from not helping, 
the criminal law as it is today oftentimes gets in the way. Yeah, you know, I mean, police officers have really little other options. I mean, there's always discretion. And in parts of different the country, you know, clearly in British Columbia and Vancouver, by de facto, they've actually been really, they've been diverting simple possession. If you look at Ontario, where I provide police leadership and where you represent governance, a simple possession charges continue to be, quite frankly, a large part of our judicial system. I think we have a lesson to learn here. You know, as we moved away from criminalization of cannabis, in reality, you know, the world didn't end. Treat it differently. Yes, we've invested in road safety. We've invested in other safety mechanisms with the public expects and, and chief support. You know, we want to be clear. We don't support perpetual drug use. We think it's an unhealthy lifestyle and leads to other challenges. But we also recognize that the notion of simply saying you should stop using or the war on drugs um, in really ways from a policy perspective has not accomplished what we want. If you look at our correctional system, we know that illicit drugs uh, travel through our correctional system. We know that the investment in wellness and healthcare is not at the primary front of this. And so from a policy perspective, we think that giving police officers different abilities to impose different sanctions, you know, I think there's a a misnomer on our policy piece as chiefs that, you know, drugs are legalized. They're not legalized. They're still illegal. But what it does is it gives the frontline officer an opportunity to divert, to sanction differently, to move towards a public health system, uh, encouraging somebody to go to rapid access clinic, uh, getting help. That's really what this is about. In the 14-page brief and explanation really from the chiefs as to why the organization now supports a public health approach and decriminalization, and Adam Palmer was at the microphone saying decriminalization could be a range of different options. For you, with your experience, what do you think it ought to look like? Well, I think that that's one of the pieces we want to have discussion with government. We do believe that obviously Health Canada, Public Safety Canada, and, and the Attorney General has a role to play in this. And we also recognize that Canada is a vast country, that the urban areas may have more access to health investment, healthcare centers, drug treatment centers. And we know that in, for example, Northern Canada, it may be more challenging. And so how do we provide different opportunities? And so, you know, our model really looks at drugs would still be illegal. So illicit drugs would then still be seized by police. Because again, there's another whole piece of safe supply discussion, et cetera, as a part of our platform, which requires further research and further investigation, but would be a diversion. So we would inquire the individual to present themselves at a rehabilitation clinic, a rapid access clinic, to visit a public health institution, to look at doing things differently. We should never criminalize an addiction. What we should do is actually work to address the addictions. And that's really one of our focuses on calling for the national task force, the national committee, to look at our policy piece. And we're hoping that Health Canada, Public Safety Canada, uh, and the Attorney General will hear our call, create a working group with uh, diverse stakeholders, uh, lived experience, because it's not just, you know, it's not about the police service. And we've had lots of conversation with our public health professionals who fundamentally support our approach. They've been calling for this for a, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Toronto, our chief medical health officer in BC, Bonnie Henry, and really public health officials across the country, now supported obviously by the police chiefs, which I think is pretty incredible to see public health officers with lived experience, police chiefs with lived experience, obviously people who work on the ground in safe consumption sites and supporting individuals with substance use issues. They support this call. <laughs> we are at a point where our liberal cabinet and prime minister are less progressive than police 
Chiefs, which I, I find odd at this current moment in time. I hope that changes. But effectively, you're calling for, and, and maybe it mirrors what occurred with cannabis in that we had a national task force that made recommendations. Then we acted as a government on those recommendations. And you see a similar trajectory. We see that as the, the right approach. Uh, we do believe that the national task force around cannabis actually was very successful. It was uh, evidence-based. It was well-researched. It included consistent, significant consultation. So we do support that model. This is also an opportune time to potentially look at is it time to modernize the national drug strategy? And so do we, you know, simply look at a larger reformation, larger work, look at modernizing the complete national drug strategy? So, you know, that's our recommendation and that's our call. When you look at what's been happening in communities across Canada, dialogue around consumption treatment sites, safe supply, like there's a larger dialogue that, you know, if we get this right, I think that this is one of the things that I know Chief Palmer, very passionate as the president of the Canadian Chiefs, and, and ultimately, as a police leader, there's likely no other chief that, you know, lives the challenges of addiction, like the Vancouver police chief, for many different reasons. But I do believe that this is an opportunity for society, and we need government support. In fact, we need all levels of government support, municipal, regional, provincial, and obviously the federal government. We have the chance for probably the first time in 50 years to get something right. If you look at the amount of individuals that have gone through the judicial system for possession, but we've never actually solved the issue. And addiction doesn't discriminate. Although I don't have the data in front of me, if you look at those that have addiction challenges and issues, it doesn't discriminate, but generally there's social disparity. There are those that may not actually have a roof over their head. And so for me, this is the first step to getting many different policy pieces, whether it be homelessness, housing, affordable housing, employment. We can get a lot of things right here and move towards a healthier, safer, and better country. And I hope you're right that there is a moment in time here because it is rare, I think, where you see public health experts and police chiefs come together united around an issue at the same time as we face a crisis that is killing thousands of Canadians. You talk about the crisis out in BC and, and your colleague, Chief Palmer. Well, here in Toronto, a report was just released to say we are now experiencing record overdose deaths associated with the opioid crisis. Now, Portugal in the year 2000 was able to reform their drug laws out of a, a crisis of overdose deaths. And so there are these moments in time that can shape policy and change policy quite quickly, one hopes. You, in describing the change of the law that you might want to see, it sounded a lot like the Portuguese system. Is, is that what you have in mind? Yeah, so definitely, just to bring some context, Nate, and you're well aware of this, but if you look at the last five years, 15,000 Canadians have lost their life to overdose. 15,000. And I'll just equate that to if 15,000 Canadians lost their life in road safety collisions, the call might be very different. This is a polarizing issue. So that's not sugarcoated. It's a polarizing issue. There's a stigma around drug use. Um, and I understand that. And quite frankly, my own mind has been reformed. 30 years ago, I had a very different approach to policing than I do now. And it's taken us a decade of dialogue, even within the police community, to get to a place where all police associations, uh, chiefs associations across the country are saying, you know what, we've got to go on a different path. You know, one of the things we did, particularly in the last two years, we've had a special working committee that has been looking at evidence-based approaches. We had a global studies program where we took progressive young police leaders from across the country. They traveled the world. 
One of the areas we very much focused on was Portugal. Inspector Bill Spurn of Vancouver Police Department led a team of officers in Portugal, meeting with officials, meeting with police, meeting with public health officials around how have you actually taken a significant crisis, like a, a massive overdose crisis in the early 2000s, and totally revert it and turn the country around. And again, drugs are still illegal. The reality is they're just treated differently in a diverted model. So we very much look at the Portugal model. We do believe that the model should be made in Canada. Our geography is very different. You know, we have large urban centers that have different capacity to support. And then we have small rural centers in Canada that have addiction issues, but may not have the health system in place. You know, Nate, we can't go at this alone. The police, police chiefs can't go at this alone. Public health can't go at this alone and government can't go at this alone. But if we gain some energy and some synergy, I do believe we can totally look at reformation. And I think that the trickle impacts will go beyond simply addiction. I think that we will start to push into homelessness, affordable housing, poverty, employment, it will go beyond this. I've introduced two bills in this parliament on this issue. And in the immediate aftermath of that, conservative colleagues, I otherwise respect, but they come out guns blazing and full of misinformation, you know, drugs on every street corner. And the member from Beaches East York wants your kids to use drugs was the sort of the tone of the of the press release. And actually in the 14-page brief from the chiefs, there is an acknowledgement to say the potential impacts of decriminalization are unknown. But at the same time, the brief recognizes, and, and you've mentioned this too, that in Vancouver, we've seen de facto decriminalization already, and the sky hasn't fallen. Do you think anything would significantly change if we said we're going to treat drug use possession specifically as a health issue from here on out? Well, again, I think you have to follow the evidence. And I think we have to recognize it is a polarizing issue. It's a polarizing issue within the police profession. It's a polarizing bet, issue yeah. within communities. And we have to find Only a little bit polarizing to... in politics. Only a little bit. <laughs> the, the, uh, I'm, I'm going to steer clear of that one. But, uh, you know, listen, the reality is, is, you know, we all have a different narrative. But I will recognize that, again, you know, the individual that lives in a community wants to feel safe. They want to feel secure. They're concerned about crime. They're concerned about everyday life. As police service, we have to find an opportunity to reassure. We have to find opportunities to say, listen, you know, there are unknowns. If you look at consumption treat segments, and I visited all of them in Toronto before our region went live at the consumption treatment site. So we did pre-analysis data. We're doing post-analysis data of implementing the consumption treatment site. What's the impact on the neighborhood? I think in reality, you know, we have to invest in looking at, okay, what are the changes if we're going to push out the policy piece? I look at this as a change management approach in many different ways. We're changing public policy. And, and you know, when we look at cannabis, for example, there was a lot of concerns. If you look post-cannabis, many of those concerns have not realized themselves. Yes, are we arresting more drivers that may be drug impaired? Yeah, absolutely. But the reality is we actually trained police officers and we invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in increasing the number of officers that can detect impaired driving. Impaired it might be driving. catching the people who are doing it beforehand anyway. Yeah, so it, it wasn't, you know, we had a significant amount of Canadians that used cannabis before it was legal. And so we follow the evidence and we look at, you know, Norway, Sweden, Portugal, even in, in the UK, they, during the heroin crisis in the 80s and 90s, they put in different perspectives and health perspectives that show that public health models do make change. There's nothing preventing us going down a road. And, and if we get to a point where the evidence shows, you know what, we're not realizing the outcome we thought we were, let's pause and let's figure out how we manage it. Right. But, you know, we definitely have the evidence that shows if you look at the number of people we've arrested 
and the recidivism of addiction. The example I'll use is that, you know, we would arrest somebody, let's say, for possession of a controlled substance. Uh, because of their previous history and conflict with the police, they often end up in an undertaking. They end up with terms not to consume illegal drugs. Well, we're actually setting that individual up for future conflict with policing because if they have an addiction. What they need is public health support. They need rehabilitation. They may need a model of uh, long-term residential treatment, or they may need outpatient treatment. I totally understand the polarization. I understand some of the fear piece. We have to acknowledge it, and we should acknowledge it, but let policing put in place plans to address that while public health has their support mechanism. And acknowledge and then educate. And I, that's why I'm yes. very glad to see public health experts and police chiefs on the same page on this. It, to the point even where in the last parliament, I had been pushing a caucus policy resolution to treat drug use as a health issue, to expand harm reduction and treatment options, and to reclassify low-level possession offenses as an administrative violation, akin to what you're discussing here today. And in response, the health minister, and then it became sort of a talking point among government that, well, Portugal is very different from Canada, and decriminalization isn't a silver bullet. And you've addressed that head on in the paper from the chiefs to say, right, it's not a silver bullet. In fact, the following elements of decriminalization do not exist in isolation, are complementary, and you point to what you've already discussed, safe consumption sites, where there's a large body of evidence, decriminalization models like in Portugal, safe supply, actually, you've highlighted, which is critical because over 90% of the deaths we've seen are because of a contaminated drug supply. And so taking a, a larger view of the problem and a, and a broader view of the suite of solutions, decriminalization, i.e. treating simple possession as something other than a criminal charge, that is one of a number of policies that encompasses a public health approach. Yeah, absolutely. So this isn't in isolation. This is a much larger reform, which is why our perspective is, is let's actually come to the table. Let's open up the national drug strategy. Let's modernize it with stakeholders, lived experience. We have all kinds of phenomenal experts you know, the chiefs, we're not professing ourselves to be experts in this. We've done our evidence-based homework. We've involved uh, research analysts uh, from different police agencies. We've taken a very diligent approach, but we've also are being very candid and honest in the sense that we've criminalized the behavior for far too long, which with the root of it is a health issue. It is interesting. We're in this social setting of talking about reallocation, uh, reinvesting, defund, all these different terms. What we're proposing is that we could probably find a healthier solution, a system that has a lot more efficacy, is moving it through public health versus the correction system or the judicial system. On that point, there was a reference in the document that savings may not be able to be found because you'd redirect them in policing itself. And I, and I wondered about that in the conversation about defunding police or reallocating resources, especially to your point where so many issues do bottom out in mental health issues, where a criminal justice response isn't maybe best suited. Do you envision dollars being potentially reallocated to mental health services and to, and to treatment services? Or do you think, no, they should be reallocated without question to trafficking enforcement? Well, it's really hard based on, if you look at, for example, Vancouver, which is pretty much added de facto no laying of charges for simple possession, and they've been very much invested in dealing with illicit drug trafficking. And that's been their focus. You know, you look at the National Police Service, uh, the RCMP, very much focused again on importation, protecting our borders. It's hard to tell from service to service. 
I do think that there's opportunities to do business differently, and that actually long-term may result in reallocation of dollars. But, you know, for example, the reality is, is that, you know, we don't produce cocaine in Canada, but there's a lot of cocaine in Canada. It's imported into our country. So again, you have to rethink the model. Do we invest more money in controlling our borders and CBSA and our border services, which then results in less work on municipal and or federal policing or provincial policing because drugs are actually not getting into the country? This is why I think it's important and why the chiefs think it's important. Let's have a larger discussion. You know, if you look at four pillars of the drug strategy, enforcement is one of those pillars. Let's have a discussion around what does that look like? And I can tell you in Ontario, for example, you know, we're very much looking at a greater Toronto area connection to CBSA. You know, obviously we have several pinch points in Ontario. You know, you have Detroit, Buffalo, and Eastern Ontario, where obviously we touch the American border. And then in the North Sioux, where drugs actually do come into our country. So is there a way to do business differently, to work more closely, look more integrated, which again, breeds efficiencies. It actually can amount to a better approach, which ultimately may reduce demand on budgets, et cetera. I think it's early to tell, but I think that, you know, certainly the table is open for that discussion. And doing business differently also leads to potential conversations related to regulation and safe supply in a way that we haven't had in a serious way in Canada yet, where in the chief's document, again, it says not only a call for decriminalization and in support of safe consumption sites and a public health approach writ large, but there was also commentary specific to safe supply, an acknowledgement, obviously, that a contaminated drug supply has killed so very many Canadians. Specifically, it said the unregulated drug supply in Canada has become toxic, leading to overdoses and deaths. Determining how best to regulate all drugs would be complicated and take time, but then notes in a regulated market, how drugs are produced, distributed, and sold would need careful consideration and depend on the drug and its potential for harm. And I've previously said that I think all drugs should be regulated according to their respective harms. That means some would be very tightly regulated to the extent of possibly prohibited. But in other cases, it makes far more sense if we look at psychedelics versus we look at MDMA versus we look at fentanyl. These are very different substances with different potential harms, and we should regulate them differently. I wonder, does that become part of the conversation with the National Task Force as well, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, the safe supply did not get the level of attention or media interest, largely because it was very much focused on diversion and and decriminalization. But we believe that it's time for discussion around that whole approach. You know, obviously, uh, we've seen changes. We've seen other countries across Europe, across the world, uh, move towards a regulated framework. Policy evolves, and now is the time to start the discussion. But it's time to start the discussion because, you know, I want to pause for a moment and remind all of the listeners and and our community that people are dying. When you look at the 15,000 people over the last five years, those are lives. Those individuals have families. They have a story. Some of them are parents. Some of them are daughters, sons. They all have a story. Policing, at the end of the day, our fiduciary duty is to preserve life. And so if you think about it, you know, most uh, urban large police services now carry naloxone. Our federal police service carries naloxone, life-saving antidotes. And again, it's polarizing for individuals because of the stigma based around drug use. But we've come a long way in recognizing the impact of alcohol in our society. We've come a long way in understanding and regulating and and creating uh, liquor license acts in each of the province that regulate the sale and the control and the consumption. You know, we believe at the national level, having a table 
with experts and those with lived experience and very different lenses, I think we can have a mature and educated evidence-based discussion that leads to policy change that sets our country up for success for the future. It takes time. You know, if you actually even look at the whole cannabis piece, you know, in the 1970s, people were calling for legalization of cannabis. In 1998, the Canadian chiefs actually called for an administrative regime, a ticketing approach to cannabis. And here we are, you know, in, in 2017, 2018, moving forward on that policy piece. So let's get it right. We're not trying to rush this. As you know, we spent two years researching, following the evidence, having police leaders travel the world, and ultimately working in dialogue with our folks, our executive board, et cetera, saying, what's our policy piece? And as you know, we've had cursory discussions previously with Health Canada, Justice Canada, PPSC, the AG's office before we brought it to a political level to say, you know, quite frankly, I mean, one of our questions was, you know, like, are we offside here? We're trying to do this homework. We're looking at doing business differently. And we've had tremendous support. I can tell you from the bureaucrats in Health Canada, we've had great support. Now we actually need to call, our call to action is to get our representatives of government to, who have the authority to create the national task force. We could de facto create a national task force and call people and build a table. Sure, it's not um, the but same. I think it, it's not the it's same. not the same. I think the legitimacy comes from the federal government actually uh, listening to various professional associations that I would say, I think, you know, we have some lived experience, some credibility to say, let's actually meet, let's have the discussion. Well, if we look at 2020, it's a year like no other global pandemic, we have financial crisis, we have social unrest, but isn't this the opportunity? Isn't this the perfect storm to set about actually figuring out what is the path forward for a safer, healthier Canada. I can't see any other time in our history that's presented itself. I agree with that. And I think the police chiefs are uniquely placed in some ways to help lead the conversation. From a public safety perspective, I found it really interesting, again, in the report highlighting many individuals who are chronic and problematic illicit drug users unable to support their addictions through legal means, they occasionally resort to criminal activity, thefts, breaking and entering, robbery to support their habits. Also acknowledging that marginalized individuals are placed in dangerous situations to support their drug use. And so from a public safety perspective alone, moving towards safer supply may have positive net benefits for for our, our society before we even get to the saving life conversation, which is the most critical of all. And so I think united as between public health experts and police chiefs and and beyond. You also mentioned families who have been affected. Parents who have lost loved ones are calling for the very same thing. And so I think there is a, a real opportunity to move forward. And what I would like to see is I would like to see Chief Palmer listen to, Bonnie Henry listen to, Premier Horgan listen to on, a, on an interim basis to say, maybe we can't do this across the country tomorrow, but we can damn well do it in BC tomorrow. And we're going to exercise our authority under the CDSA, under CDSA to issue an exemption for BC tomorrow, treat that as a pilot project, and then establish this national task force for the national conversation about decriminalization writ large for all of Canada, but also safer supply and where that takes us, expanding treatment options where that takes us and everything else. But that, I don't know that I'm going to get that, but that is what I would like to see. <laughs> the Canadian chiefs very much support even a jurisdictional pilot approach. Uh, we recognize that this is a significant seismic policy change, um, and it's going to take time for all of us, uh, professionals and citizens and Canadians, to really wrap their head around where we're going with this. But to your point, there are probably some communities that have a readiness level that is very different than some communities. 
And so the Canadian chiefs, uh, we have echoed to the health minister, to the public safety minister, and to the attorney general that we would support various jurisdictional pilot projects while the actual larger working group task force, whatever you want to call it, was doing their work and doing their homework. But then we could also actually create several evaluations as to what's happening, what's the outcomes, what's the outputs, what's the financial investment required, what's working, what's not working, communication strategies. So there's very much value in that, Nate, and and we would definitively support that. You know, we don't think that, you know, tomorrow we turn the key and the whole country changes. We understand the challenges with that. And quite frankly, some communities are more impacted than others. And to your point, it's often lost in Ontario, and I'll speak on behalf of my colleagues in Ontario, is that Ontario very quietly has been catching up to the epidemic rates of British Columbia. So we often speak about British Columbia and the challenges that they're facing. But when we look within Ontario, and particularly the greater Toronto area, and you know Western Ontario and Eastern Ontario, sort of from Ottawa to Windsor to the major urban centres in between, we're catching up in deaths. And it requires a larger discussion even within our province. But we're looking at this from a national perspective. We recognize that obviously the territories, it's a very different approach. So a very coordinated, balanced approach to rolling it out. We support that and we support that model. And we quickly ran through the possibility of reallocating funds. That call to defund the police, largely born out of the Black Lives Matter movement and out of the death of George Floyd and a series of of horrible incidents, including in Canada, where we see deaths of Indigenous people in wellness checks and brutal videos of, of the mistreatment of an Indigenous chief out West. And when it comes to race and policing there's a re- recent report again out of Toronto to say that arrests and, and violence have disproportionately affected people of color. Did your analysis as, as chiefs in this two-year process, did it at all look at race and the disproportionate effect of the war on drugs on racialized communities in our country? Some services don't. It's a nationwide piece. We don't track all the data. So that wasn't our focus at the time, was looking at tracking, you know, the possession charges by race, by gender, by locale. Uh, We looked at it from a much larger, broader perspective. But anecdotally, when you look at our correctional system, which is, you know, we see in Black, Indigenous and people of color overrepresented in our judicial system, how do they land in the judicial system? They land through arrest. And often if we look at some of the other challenges that we face, whether it be addiction, homelessness, uh, economic disparity, we know that uh, Black, Indigenous and people of colour uh, and the system that has been created, the likelihood of actually the data mirroring or following that is very real. And so again, this is uh, one policy piece we think that begins to address the larger systemic challenges that our system has. You know, we've definitively seen that even through COVID and through the public health data that racialized communities, access to healthcare is very different than those that are living in affluent and or non-BIPOC communities. So I think it's a larger discussion that will naturally flow. And so in many ways, you know, and this was not our intention when we sought out to launch this policy piece, but as we, as we reflect on what we're trying to accomplish, we think that this addresses many different issues and challenges within society. And we think it opens the door to addressing a lot of different pieces. The notion of just simply moving money out of one budget to the other budget, in my view, is much more complex uh, when you actually get into the complexities of some of the things we do. But the Canadian chiefs have always and, and will continue to always be open to discussion and dialogue on what does policing look like. And you know, again, our, our whole comment around this is that this is probably the first time in a half century that we have an opportunity to get things right 
because we do believe, you know, when we travel the world, many other countries look to Canadian policing as a model. They do look at some of our, our democracy and our judicial system as models to follow. Uh, is it perfect? No, yeah, because it's human-centric and it comes with all the human flaws of society. But there's an opportunity here for a much larger discussion. You know, from saving lives to racial justice to public safety considerations, all on the positive side of the ledger by reforming our drug laws and, and following the evidence, report did identify three challenges. One was the threshold amount. I, I actually don't view that as a great challenge. We already have threshold amounts in the CDSA. So even if we were to stick with that, maybe we could change those, but let's just assume we stick with that. That's an easier one to get past potentially. An assessment of penalties was the second challenge. And we could have a reasonable debate and the task force ought to have that debate about whether we follow a Portugal model, whether we are maybe less punitive in the sense of pulling back away from fines. We recognize that mandatory treatment doesn't work and we could have a conversation about what the various interventions ought to be, if any, in some cases. And the third challenge, how to offer and link people to treatment and other societal support, that seems to me to be about building capacity and, and really federal and provincial dollars in the system to build out the health capacity to meet the moment and to meet the crisis that we see and, and the, the deaths that we see in many cases. These challenges seem eminently surmountable. The real challenge seems to be politics. And so with that in mind, I'm very thankful for your advocacy and the advocacy of the chiefs, because I do think it helps the politics of this. I've said before, but when I introduced that bill and I got the press release in response from the conservatives, well, they didn't issue a similar press release when you issued your report. Having the chiefs on board, I think, makes it harder for some of my conservative colleagues to lay the same attacks based on misinformation. And I hope it ensures that they also follow the evidence going forward. And we as parliamentarians are able to do the same difficult work that you've done as chiefs. We're having those conversations over the period of a year or two and, and building that consensus and making sure everyone is on the same page with respect to the evidence. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the challenges we identified, uh, we don't believe that any of them are insurmountable. We wanted to flush those out to recognize that these are likely three common concerns. And there are three concerns that we heard from our membership as well. But I think with talented task force, you know, all of those things can be worked through. Probably the largest challenge, again, is that, you know, health is delivered at the provincial level. So we need support from provincial governments because the investment in the dollars come provincially. But we're looking at a national policy change. Again, I don't view that as insurmountable because I do believe that if we focus on what we're trying to accomplish, which is saving lives, which is reducing impact on our judicial system, reducing impact on our healthcare system. All of these things, I think, will amount to actually long-term financial savings, but we'll also have healthier citizens, healthier Canadians. Isn't that our goal? Isn't that our collective goal is to have a community that thrives? You know, we're not naive to think that there won't be some levels of crime. They're not naive to think that some people go through different challenges in their life. But if we have a support mechanism that allows people to grow, to thrive, to live the best life they can in Canada, I think that we all collectively share that. Regardless of where we live in the country, regardless of where you sit in the House of Commons, I think we share a collective piece there. And that's what the Chiefs are focused on. Our ask is really for government to simply exercise their authority, which is to create the national task force. 
seems like a straightforward, simple ask. So, yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, I really appreciate your time and I really appreciate all your advocacy. And I do hope that the chief stepping up in the way that, that you have, I hope that it makes a difference in saving lives and moving this policy forward. And I couldn't agree more that there's a moment in time and we need to seize it. And so I really appreciate you guys doing your part to ensure we seize the moment. Thanks, uh, Nate. Good to connect. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to connect in Ottawa in person. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Uncommons. Remember to subscribe at uncommons.ca for future episodes and recommend future guests and topics on social media at BYNate.